Well, good morning, Strong Tower. Good morning. Uh, it's kind of funny. I'm here to speak on the discipline of celebration. I'm going to talk about that through the lens of my story, but you guys know how to celebrate. This is my first time at Strong Tower. You've been celebrating graduates, celebrating each other, celebrate, celebrating our God that's worthy of celebration. And um, just fun. it's fun to be in a place that, that knows the spirit of celebration well. So thank you for having me, Pastor Chris. Let me, uh, uh-oh. My laptop's kind of acting funny here real quick, so we'll, we'll get to it. But, you know, it's, it's really interesting that um, I was praying with Pastor Chris and Sister Darina this morning, and she started praying and just started praying, like, let the Lord just use you freely, and if he wants to change your message and he wants to do something different, then just be prepared for that. And just kind of was encouraging me that I'm like, I'm not, I'm not veering off a script. And now what's funny is my laptop's just kind of like dead on me, and I actually had a scripture that God gave me this morning that I'm going to kind of share from. So I'll reset my laptop as I do this. Um, but um, the scripture, it's, it's funny, it was a very spiritual exercise I was doing this morning, which I do every morning, which is called open up my Bible app and read the verse of the day. And so I, I open I my Bible app like I normally do, and I read the verse of the day, and it was Acts chapter 2. And I had no idea that it was Pentecost Sunday. I should, as a pastor, know that it's Pentecost Sunday. But I didn't know it was Pentecost Sunday, and I just started reading, uh, it was uh, just one or two verses, but I just went back, and I typically do, I'll read the whole chapter, and was reading the chapter, which I'm really familiar with that chapter, but just some different things stuck out to me today, I think specifically because, you know, I was just, the place I was at was uh, thinking about what I was going to share this morning. And I just wanted to share, and I'm going to try not to go over today, but, uh, you know, in, in uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, uh, Jesus' disciples and some others, they'd come together, they were gathering actually for a Jewish holiday, that's why they were together, and other people were coming into Jerusalem for this holiday, and um, ultimately, they found themselves in this place where the Holy Spirit comes, right, for Pentecost, and he basically uh, shows himself to them. But what's, what's really interesting is they, you know, they start speaking in other languages, other tongues. You have people from all these different cities, all these different countries, all these different places that are Jews that are coming together. And one of the things that caught me today is uh, Acts chapter 2, um, verse 11, well, verse 12. It, t- it talks about all these different pl- people from all these different places, and it says, and they were all, oh, I'm sorry, They said, we hear them speaking in our own languages, the magnificent acts of God. Like, literally that line just makes me so so emotional, the magnificent acts of God. Like, they're not just speaking random stuff. They're not just saying, they're literally speaking the magnificent acts of God. It says they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this be? But some answered and said, they're full of wine. They're drunk. And uh, Peter, being Peter, Peter always liked to, you know, just share. He wasn't afraid to share. He says, said that Peter stood up with the 11 and he raised his voice and proclaimed to them, thank you. If you don't know by now, I'm a crier, so I may cry a few times here. So just bear with me. It says, Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, Jewish men, men and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And pay attention to my words. Yeah. Pay attention. Then he goes on to say what Pastor Chris said. and He's quoting um, from the prophet Joel. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. All these different things that will happen when the Holy Spirit comes on someone. And then he says, men of Israel. I'm just kind of skipping through. Listen to these words. Pay attention. Listen to these words. This Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you. Through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, 
you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it's not possible for him to be held by it. I'll skip down. He says other things. He says to end this kind of little section here, therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Started out, he said, pay attention to the magnificent acts of God that they're proclaiming. And know with certainty at the end that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And I guess the thing I would say to you today is anything that I share, I'm just wanting to proclaim the magnificent works of God in my life. That's all I'm going to say today is the magnificent acts of God in my life, uh, which includes some high highs and some low lows and some other high highs and some other low lows. And I'm going to share that today. But I wanted to just just share, first of all, I want to thank uh, all my girls for being here. Uh, just coming and following dad wherever he goes. Uh, I actually have a picture of my girls. I don't know if you guys mind showing it now, but um, Alina is my oldest. She's 17. Caitlin is my number two. She's 14. My twins, Cameron and Olivia, they are 12. They just turned 12, which is pretty crazy. But uh, um, it's a joy to have them here. My sister, Carmen, who's with me as well, and our friend, Cass, who's here as well. But uh, thanks, guys, for following me here. Um, I've, I've known about Strong Tower since I moved here. I kn- knew about it because Anthony Evans Jr., who I managed for about seven years, he went to Strong Tower when he lived in Nashville, kind of part of his music career. Also ran uh, the ministry of Dr. Tony Evans, The Urban Alternative, who's a friend of Pastor Chris. And um, I'd heard about your church many years before I moved to town. And then when I got here, what was beautiful is one of the men I got to know really well before moving here was one of your elders, Sherman Smith. And so Elder Sherman has been a friend for a number of years. I call him Coach Sherm, but uh, he's been a friend for a number of years. And uh, you guys uh, should be grateful for just some amazing leaders that God's put over you. I'm grateful for them, grateful for the men of this community that are willing to just be faithful men in this community. And just want to thank you, Pastor Chris, for having me today again. But, um, you know, we've gone through some pretty uh, incredibly difficult seasons. COVID has been, it's wrecked havoc on all of our lives in different ways for different reasons. And sickness, fear, loss of expectation, loss of loved ones, not gathering together, losing brothers and sisters to... Um, uh, really just a a spiritual climate that really tested and kind of sifted people, people that we thought were brothers and sisters that are kind of moving away from the faith, others that are just, we can't gather together. And so we've lost them just in relationship and maybe they're online, but ultimately um, those that might be um, more predisposed uh, to sickness, like we just have had a lot of loss. And we've lost, I've lost a couple of relatives to COVID and to death in that way. And there's honestly been a lot to mourn in the season. And Some of you may know that I've had kind of my fair share of mourning, if you know my story. I'm going to share a little bit more about that. But I I would say the definition for me of mourning is just this reality of dealing with lost expectations. We expected one thing, we got another thing. We expected um, uh, to have uh, this person in our life for a long time, we had him for a little bit of time. We expected to have this job for a long time, we had him for a little bit of time. We expected to have this, you know, name the thing. It's dealing with lost expectations. Mourning is the process for dealing with lost, lost expectations. And it's dealing with the reality of what's changed. But for us as believers, what's really beautiful, whether it be death or whether it be anything else, we don't have to grieve or mourn like those that have no hope. First Thessalonians 4.13, I used to hear this verse spoken at funerals, funerals that I used to go to, and now it's actually a verse that's be, it's come alive to me. Paul would say, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Today, I want to talk to you about a way of grieving that we as believers have that's different than others. 
I wanna talk to you about our way of dealing with lost expectations and our, our way of relating and dealing with death and darkness and loss of all different kinds. I wanna to talk to you about a certain perspective that we as believers have. And I wanna to talk to you about th- that through the lens of two different people. First of all, mine, uh, Jonathan Pitts, just this dude that you may have maybe possibly heard my name before or maybe not at all. I wanna share with you my story and I want you to identify with this perspective through my story, but then also through the life and story of Paul and the truth that Paul leaves in the word of God for us as well. Uh, I'll differentiate my story from Paul's in the word of God. But today I wanna talk to you about the spiritual discipline of celebration or the practice of celebration. And I love how uh, the author Adele Calhoun actually shares um, what celebration and the fruit of celebration looks like. She says that the fruit of celebration and having this perspective, this hope that we as believers have is living from a mentality of abundance rather than that of scarcity. It's rejoicing always in the God who rejoices over you. It's enjoying every good gift is coming from God. I love this one. It's taking yourself less seriously. It's freedom from the addiction to criticism or negativity. And here's one we could all use. It's sleeping well. This last one I think is really offensive and probably the one that we need to grow in the most, which I'll probably talk the most about today. It's this idea of cultivating gladness, kind of spurring gladness, cultivating gladness, growing gladness in our lives. And most of us today have some circumstance in our life that's attempting to steal our joy. You guys might already be thinking about that thing for you personally, the thing that's attempting to steal your joy. Maybe you woke up this morning with it on your mind, on your heart, in your head. But we each have some situation that is wanting to rob or steal our delight. But the good news for us as believers is that joy and celebration don't get to be tied to our circumstances. They don't have to be tied to our circumstances. And today I want to encourage you to find joy and celebration despite whatever circumstance you're walking through. And I want to start by reading a scripture. And if you guys don't mind, I don't know how you do it here. I should have asked Pastor Chris, but if you don't mind standing with me just to honor God's word as we read together. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Many of you guys probably know these verses well. But I'll read, these are words from Paul. Rejoice in the Lord always. And it's Philippians 4, uh, verse 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. It's the word of God. You guys can be seated. Now that we have truth in its rightful place, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, we'll talk about those verses, I want to catch you up a bit on my story and who I am and how I got to be where I'm at. And in short, I landed in this city a little less than three years ago, a broken man. I wasn't broken because I decided to come to Nashville from Dallas, Texas, broken. I actually chose to accept accept a role at Church of the City with my then wife, Winter, and my daughters, Alina, Caitlin, Cameron, and Olivia. It's actually a picture of my family there. Uh, from the Easter just before um, coming to Nashville. We bought our house together. Uh, Winter and I picked out our girls' school together, and we moved into our home on July 14th, 2018. And we were excited about our move and 
felt like we had the, the world, and the, uh, just the, our entire lives ahead of us and just had plans, obviously, and we were anxious but ecstatic about the possibilities that lay ahead. And um, joy was not uh, really hard for us in that season to come by because there's just so much exciting things happening, buying a new house and starting a new job and a new city, and all of us were excited. And um, joy was, I guess, an easy thing to come by that summer. And Winter was a creative writer, and she'd created the magazine from scratch called For Girls Like You. Just this, uh, she had this idea that she wanted our girls to um, really know who they were, have an identity that was formed and based in Christ. But that didn't have to be something that wasn't fun and that was just like this hard work of making God be pleased. She was this little girl that kind of grew up with this idea that I had to work for God as opposed to partnering with God in my forgiveness, in my, um, in my um, nature as a saved person, that God wanted me to enjoy my life. He wanted me to have fun. He had plans for my life that were big and beautiful. And so she created this magazine and this ministry. And in, five years, um, in the five years leading into that summer, she had already published about seven books um, for those girls, for girls that age range. And I was happy for her, and I actually felt like our move was as much to do with her as it was to do with me coming here to pastor. And I had a growing, um, I was growing in ministry. I'd spent about, at that point, uh, 10 years in ministry, a little more than 10 years, working, actually 14 years, working with Anthony Evans Jr. and Dr. Evans uh, in the Evans brand of ministry, I would call it, you know, Dr. Evans and Priscilla Shire and Crystal Hurst and Anthony Evans, all these different names that many of you guys probably know. And I'd kind of grown up in that context and felt like God was calling me to something new. And so coming to Church of the City was an opportunity for me to develop and utilize the gifts that God had given me and that I sensed that he was wanting to use in my life. And so I was a bit anxious but overjoyed. The church saw something in me um, that ended with me being offered this job as executive pastor and um, an entrance into the Church of the City movement. And our girls were excited as well. And our ministry and life together seemed to be gelling, um, and our lives seemed to be as good as anybody else's. Winter and I had just crossed 15 years of marriage, and we were grateful. We were imperfect as a couple, like any couple is, but we were intentional. We were growing, and our family was far from perfect, but life was good. We felt like God was guiding our circumstances at that point. And then literally our world fell apart. And I mean, as quickly as these words are coming out of my mouth, our lives changed. On July 24th, 2018, 10 days after buying our house and moving in, um, Winter would pass away from a sudden heart defect, leaving me widowed and leaving my girls um, without their mom. And it was obviously a tragic blow. I don't have time to go into the details today of all that happened then, but um, it was a tragic blow. I lost my college sweetheart. Um, we got married at 23, and we struggled as a young family together, you know, like all couples do. And uh, eventually we worked to this place where we found success in marriage and success in our family and even success in ministry and kind of partnership, which is a, which is a beautiful, really beautiful thing. This was a blow to me personally. It was obviously a blow for my girls, understandably, understandably, and it was seemingly a blow to the kingdom of God. And I say seemingly a blow to the kingdom of God. My girls would find ourselves in a new state, a new city, a new home, a new school, a new church, without the woman that had meant so much to us, and it had become such a massive part of our identity. And I'm thankful to say um, that in the darkest and saddest moments of my life, I've been able to confirm what I've always believed. Kind of takes me back to Acts 2. Peter says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom we, who was crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Like I was confident when that happened in the hardest moments of my life, I confirmed what I'd always believed. And that what Paul said to the church at Philippi was true for me and relevant for me in that moment. And it's true for me and relevant for me today. 
God has been near, like, like uh, Paul says then. Been beside me all that time, and he's still beside me now, and that God has been my peace, guarding my heart and guarding my mind in Christ Jesus. And it's been thinking about his nearness, his excellency, his praiseworthiness that has kept my perspective clear and pointed towards true north when I could have lost it. You know, my girls were really little. I'm about to embarrass them, and I apologize in advance. They were really little. One of the things that I was really big on was teaching my girls scripture, and so I tried to do it in really creative ways. And typically that, uh, for me, because I came from a musical family, um, creativity comes really kind of in music. So I would just sing this little tune. I'd say, whatever is true, whatever is honorable. Sing with me, girls. I'm just kidding. Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, dwell on these things. And I go, dun da dun. Philippians 4 and 8. Dun da dun. <laughs> I would sing that, and I basically would be encouraging my girls and getting to know Scripture and knowing the heart of their God. And so over the last couple of years, what's been beautiful for me now that I didn't know then is I was giving them words of truth that we all would need to lean into. And we did. I'm not making light of my loss and my grief journey. It has been a journey. It's been almost three years and there have been seasons of real darkness and real pain and difficulty and I'm thankful for where I am now as a man. And the, you know, one of the things I've learned is that your, your circumstances will always be impacted by whatever loss you face, your job loss, your loss of um, whatever, whatever it is in your life that you're losing, it's gonna impact your life. It's not to, to throw that away. Like that, that loss, is, it impacts where you go. But what's beautiful is I think about the words in this verse and Paul's encouragement. It has tons of meaning to me because my girls and I have imperfectly but intentionally dwelled on these things, whatever's true, right, honorable, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about these things. We've intentionally, imperfectly, but intentionally dwelt on those things and gained a perspective of hope and joy in the middle of a massive mess. The key for us then, the key for us now, and the key for all of us is watching out for what God is doing. It's like he said, Peter said, pay attention. In Acts 2, pay attention to my words. I love how my mentor and spiritual father, Dr. Tony Evans says it, and talks about paying attention. I'll quote him a couple times today because all I've learned to do is steal everything he's ever given me. But he says, if all you see is what you see, you'll never see all there is to be seen. If all you see is what you see, you'll never see all there is to be seen. Said another way by one of my favorite authors, a guy named Leighton Ford in his book, The Attentive Life, which changed my life at the age 40 last year. Leighton says, paying attention is not a way by which we make something happen, but a way to see what is already given to us. In essence, my girls and I have had an amazing opportunity to pay attention. It's also been a test that God has allowed, and we'll talk more about testing, but it's been an opportunity to pay attention. And in so doing, we've been given the chance to celebrate God's goodness in the middle of the biggest storm of our lives, and we found him faithful. Looking back, it's been hard. It's been really hard. We failed it often. We still do. But what's most beautiful is that our season of grieving and celebration um, through our circumstances that we would not have picked has prepared us for what lay ahead. And as, be as believers, we know that God wins in the end and that truth and beauty prevail. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve as those who have hope because we know there is always hope. Tony Evans again. 
don't tell him I said this. Don't tell him I stole it. Tony Evans would say that hope is joyful expectation of a better tomorrow. Hope is joyful expectation of a better tomorrow. Remember what we believe, guys, even in our big, massive losses, whatever we lose. We believe, Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for good for those who love him, for those that are called according to his purpose. We don't grieve as those who have no hope because we have hope. Hope is joyful expectation of a better tomorrow. God works all things, our horrible circumstances, our bad circumstances, the ones we didn't want. He works all those things together for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Even for winter, what's beautiful is one of the things I was able to say when she passed away to my girls, the first thing I said is, your mommy's with Jesus now. That's God working all things together for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. She wasn't left alone or left unsecure. She was as secure as she could ever be when she went on to be with Jesus in eternity. That is God working all things together for those who believe. Can you guys identify with me today? Is there a circumstance or a situation in your life where you're maybe not wanting to celebrate because all you can see in that circumstance is hopelessness or all you can see in that circumstance is the negative, th- the negative aspects of what come? And I'm not trying to avoid the reality of those things that come, the negative, the negative things that come with those circumstances. But is the Lord wooing you to look a little bit deeper to see what he may be doing to help you see his goodness despite your circumstances? I want to encourage you today to maybe just desire or ask God to give you this heart to want to desire celebrating and practicing celebration in your life regardless of your circumstances. Of finding joy. Paul says earlier in that, in that chapter, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. I don't, want to, I don't expect you to necessarily be in that place, but if you're struggling to get there, let's look at the life of Paul to maybe give us some perspective. You know, Paul wrote this passage, Philippians 4, in the book of Philippians, um, this classic joy passage from an incredibly difficult place. In fact, he wrote this letter um, upstate, so to say, in prison. He was in prison. He wasn't writing this from his cushy home. He was literally in prison when he wrote this, when he wrote this book. He wrote it to the uh, first Jesus community, in Eastern Europe that he started in Philippi, in the city. And you can read more about that in Acts chapter 16 if you want to read more about the starting of this church. Acts chapter 16 talks more about who they were. But it was a community known for Roman patriotic nationalism. I thought that was kind of ironic because right now we're in this land of patriotic nationalism. And for believers in this, in this season, especially depending on where you've come from, your history, your background, your culture, you found yourself struggling with, with, with what does it mean to be in this nation as a believer? There's a struggle. So they had that same struggle of what does it mean to be a believer in this patriotic nationalistic society that has some uh, values in common with the kingdom of God and some that don't. Like, how do I be a believer in this time? And so he's talking to them in prison to that specifically. And then he's also talking to them as those that were familiar um, with persecution, death, torture, fear of being found out as believers in the society they were in. Paul is writing to them from prison to a people that are walking through persecution. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Paul was teaching the Philippians how to live as those committed to another king and for another kingdom in the middle of a massive Roman kingdom. He was teaching them the tension of how to be faithful citizens of heaven while being good citizens of earth. I don't want us to skim over the reality of where Paul was, incarcerated, and how he detached from his circumstances to find joy. He detached from his circumstances to find joy. Paul's experience, and remember, God's not using our lives just for us. He's using our lives for others. Paul's experience was no picnic that turned out for good, his good eventually, but also 
the good of those that he would be in contact with. He was a witness to non-believers, his prison guards and those that he'd come into contact with in the Roman kingdom. We could just imagine how many people he came into contact with being in prison. But also he was an encouragement to believers that were walking through persecution. And Paul defined his life by Jesus' life and love for him. And he's encouraging the church at Philippi and us to do the same. But to define our life by Jesus' life and love for us. I love how the the Bible Project describes the purpose of the book of Philippians. It says that living as a Christian means seeing your story as a lived expression of Jesus' story. Seeing your story as a lived expression of Jesus' story. So Paul is doing that. Paul's in prison. He's walking through persecution and imprisonment. And he's encouraging them to find joy and uh, to take their circumstance and live it just like Christ did. Like Christ suffered, we're going to suffer. Like what does it mean to live our lives as a... Um, to see our stories, the lived expression of Jesus' stories, to identify with him in everything that he walked through. And so, you know, there's a whole different place I wanted to go. I didn't have how much time I have left, Pastor Chris, but uh, it's a whole different place I wanted to go. But um, 15 more minutes, okay. I'll do a little bit of this and I'll, I'll just share. I want to share a little bit of my testimony because when I read in here that it says that... Um, We, were, we, we, hear, we hear them speaking in their own language, the magnificent acts of God. Like, I can only imagine they were just sharing their stories, like sharing what God did in their life, how God healed them here, how God saved them here, how God met them here. They're literally sharing their life stories with all these other different believers in different languages. And so I don't want to be so heady in sharing like all these different steps to what does it look like to celebrate and not just share what, how God did that for me. And maybe in my story, you can actually think, oh, I can do it like that. I can do it like this. But what stands in the way of our joy? According to Jesus, the problem is just our sin, our sin nature. It's that we actually look to the wrong source for our happy life. We look to the world and we celebrate the wrong things. And Jesus called this wrong source sin. I find it interesting how Ignatius of Loyola defines sin. He says, sin is an unwillingness to trust that what God wants from me is only my deepest happiness. In our circumstances, just think about it, if you guys could leave that up there for a second. If sin is an unwillingness to trust that God wants, um, it's an unwillingness to trust that what God wants from me is only my deepest happiness, then sin would be looking at our circumstances that is difficult and saying, man, God's not looking out for me here. God's not caring for me here. In my circumstance, it's looking at the death of my late wife and being like, God's not looking out for my best interest. Me, it's sin to me to not think about the fact that God actually is looking out for my best circumstance. Uh, my, 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 my deepest happiness. I might not understand it. I might not see it. His ways are my ways. His thoughts are my, are my thoughts. As high as his, the heavens are above uh, the earth, so higher his ways above mine. Like I might not be able to understand it, but to walk away from sin and to repent of sin is to actually understand that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So even the difficult things we walk through, to walk in faithfulness to God is to trust that he actually has our deepest happiness and our deepest best interest at heart. The question is, how do we move towards that? Because it's not easy to be in that place. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The Greek word for rejoice uh, here is actually the, it's, it's, it's a verb. It's in verb form. And so joy, rejoice, literally means to joy. It's a verb. It's action-oriented. And so the first thing it looks like is, uh, it's, like it's a faith act. And another Tony Evansism is what I call him. Faith is acting like it is so, even when it is not so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. Faith, it's action-oriented. It's a verb. 
It's basically to find something in something that you don't necessarily emotionally feel. It's, it's kind of walking out something to be true, even if you don't feel like it's true, because it's actually true. Faith is acting like it is so, even when it is not so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. It's action-oriented. It's not just this ethereal mind idea. It's like it's acting it out, which we'll talk more about. But it's also best done in community. The Greek word for joy is also, it's mostly used in the plural 90% of the time in the scriptures, and uh, it can be assumed that it's best done with other people. To find joy is best done in community, in a body of belief. It's what you guys just did here, celebrating the graduations. You know, I, Pastor Chris even mentioned that one of the people that was graduating had walked through a lot of things, and you're celebrating her graduation in the middle of what she walked through. So it's done best in community. Third, it's a command. Paul's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He's not like asking, why don't you guys try to find joy? He's commanding them basically to be happy. And think about it. The only way to command something is if it's actually an act of your free will, which it is. Joy is something that we get to choose to do out of obedience to honoring God. We've got a lot to grieve as a family, as the body of Christ. There's a lot to grieve. I mean, all the Racial tension, all the things that have happened in our country related to race, all the things that have happened related to COVID, death, despair, families, like all the, all the um, separation in the church itself, like there's a lot to grieve, a lot to mourn, a lot of expectations that we have all had that aren't being met. But Paul is telling us that in the middle of, of our wrestles and our concerns and our challenges that we can count it all joy. James says, James chapter one, verse two, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Consider it pure joy. Henry Nouwen says, joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. It's interesting because now in himself was a, he famously struggled with identity issues and also the struggles of what it means to be an artist and a creative that feel really deeply. Now in this artist feels really deeply, struggled with melancholy, says, joy doesn't simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. In these words, now in is saying that no matter how complicated life gets, no matter how much your personality is bent towards melancholy, no matter how painful your situation is right now, Joy is something that you can choose to do as an act of your will. Richard Foster says, the decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. That is why celebration is a discipline. It is not something that just falls on our heads. It is the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. When we choose this way, the healing and redemption in Christ will break into the inner recesses of our lives and relationships and the inevitable result will be joy. When we choose this way, the healing and redemption in Christ will break into the inner recesses of our lives and relationships, and the inevitable result will be joy. Healing and redemption. Healing and redemption. I've faced massive loss, you know, like some of you guys, obviously, like I don't want to overemphasize my loss. Some of you have lost spouses, I'm sure. Some of you have lost parents. Some of you have lost, have lost children. I can't even imagine, like, the losses are massive, but in celebration, healing and redemption is possible in Christ. Amen. What's been beautiful for me, and as I think about it, that healing and re- that, that celebration can, br- can make room and make way for healing and redemption is that I have found an amazing uh, part of my redemption and a part of my healing. 
her name's Peta, and she's now my fiance. And it's a really difficult thing to, um, to basically, basically, I'm transitioning from one part of my story to the next, but that's exactly how God does it. God's always working things out for our good, right? He's always working things out for our good. On, on December 31st, 2020, I actually proposed to Peta. My healing, part of my healing, a massive part of my healing in partnership and marriage is coming. It's on its way. I get married in October, which I'm really grateful for. I'm excited about. In God's kindness, in his grace, he prepared me to receive a gift that I had no idea was going to be coming. And that's not possible without celebrating what God had already done. It's not possible with celebrating, without celebrating what God is doing. Three years ago, you wouldn't have been able to convince me that I could be where I am right now, that I could be healthy, that I could be whole, and that I could be seeing God in all of his crazy creativity. It's been a, and by the way, like even this part of my story is as, as, as challenging as it was walking through grief. It's been challenging walking through this, this new part of my story and this, what God is doing now. Like there's always challenges in our lives and the reality is we have this beautiful opportunity to step up to the challenge and see God's beauty in them. But three years ago, you wouldn't have been able to tell me I am where I am, that I could be healthy, that I could be whole, that I'd be on the way um, into marriage and in, in, in this way into a, a, another part of my redemptive story. And I've been an imperfect example of following Paul and following Jesus, but I'm learning to do exactly what Paul said. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's honorable, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, whatever's excellent, whatever's praiseworthy, think about these things. Counter to how we live sometimes, guys, we have far more agency than most of us dare to admit and a responsibility before God to direct our emotions toward joy. And we have this amazing opportunity to um, orient not only our minds toward joy, which is what Paul's talking about partly, but we also have the opportunity to orient our bodies towards joy. We're, 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 we're mind and body. Like we're, we're, you know, we have this mind where we think, we have this body where we act. And Paul actually encourages us to, to orient both of those things towards joy. Orienting our minds towards joy looks like a couple of different things. First of all, it's surrendering the illusion of control. Paul says in uh, chapter four, verse five, with a gentle, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We start by simply acknowledging our emotions and then handing them off to God, praying and asking God for help, and then walking away. In a sense, we become non-anxious presence, a non-anxious presence by letting go of outcomes. We don't get to control the outcomes of anything. We have this delusion or this illusion that, uh, that we can, but we can't. So part of the journey to happiness is facing up to the reality that we're actually not in control of our lives. The ancients would call this detachment. I've referred to it earlier. It's a state where we no longer need our lives to go a certain way in order for us to be happy. As long as we're emotionally attached to outcomes, we'll never find true happiness because we're always going to be stuck attached to the circumstance that we're walking out of. Second, it's this idea to be thankful. Paul says, with thanksgiving, the happiest people I know are the most, grateful the most grateful for the smallest things. Gratefulness and joy are closely connected. With thanksgiving, 
Even the secular world knows this. Brene Brown, who has one of the top five TED Talks of all time, she says, I don't have to chase extraordinary moments to find happiness. It's right in front of me. If I'm paying attention, remember that? Acts 2, pay attention. If I'm paying attention and practicing gratitude. The third thing is focusing on the good. He says, I love this verse. It's probably my favorite verse of all time. Probably because I taught it to my girls early on. It's probably one of the first verses I taught to my girls in song, by the way. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Dwell on these things. What we think about has the potential to make our life a living hell or lead us into freedom. And the human mind, for many reasons, tends to fixate on the negative. And here, Paul offers us an alternative solution. That's what I'd want you to look at those verses at, an alternative solution to what the world is offering us. He's offering us the ability to create this habit that's countercultural to what the media, both social and traditional, is trying to instill into our minds. We get this opportunity to dwell on what's true and right and honorable and pure and lovely and excellent and praiseworthy. For me, what that looked like uh, is a couple things. Like when, you know, for example, when Winter passed away, it looked like not only just saying to my girls that your mommy's now in heaven, but it's actually believing it in the recesses of my mind. And when the enemy tries to steal that from me, going back to what I believe and saying, no, she's with the Lord, to be absent from the bodies and be present with the Lord. It looks like seeing like when literally I was at the physically worst part of my life, like this woman who'd helped me raise these girls now is gone in heaven with Jesus. I'm literally finding myself by myself in my home. Um, and I was actually type A, Enneagram 3 enough to think I can do this by myself until about two weeks in. I burn this chicken and my girls are laughing at me and I kind of go upstairs and I'm in tears like, how in the world am I going to do this? And so I call my sister, Carmen, who's sitting right here. And I say, hey, is that offer still on the table? The day of Winter's funeral, Carmen walks up to me and says, hey, the Lord told me if you need me, I'm, I'm there. I'll come help you with the girls. So this woman who's been praying for a husband, praying for children for years, who for whatever reason God has allowed, allowed to stay in this place of singlehood, is able to walk into my life and serve me and serve my girls and show us this new picture of what single ministry looks like in the kingdom of God. Whatever is praiseworthy, that is praiseworthy. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, yes. Whatever is pure, that's pure. Yes. Whatever is lovely, that's lovely. Yes. I literally don't know where I would be if she had not said yes to what she felt like God was calling her to do. Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable and excellent, praiseworthy, think about these things. Like, what are the things in your life right now that God is doing? If all you see is what you see, you'll never see all there is to be seen. We as believers have the opportunity to pay attention to what God is actually doing, despite our circumstances. Even as I think about my current engagement to Peter, she has her own redemption story. And what's beautiful is my redemption is her redemption, and her redemption is my redemption. God's kind of weaving together two stories. And he's doing that in a way I'd never thought possible, nor would I have expected, nor would I would have asked for. I wouldn't even have thought about it. I wouldn't think I'd be where I'm at, but ultimately God is weaving these stories together and the kingdom of God is advancing and I get to see that and I get to pay attention to that. We get to see that and pay attention to that. I think about my girls. As painful as it is, and I hate to talk about them in front of them, but I do it often and they're pretty good with it, but they are literally the four most resilient girls I've ever seen in my life. 
to walk what they walk to, to sit where they're sitting, to trust that God is good, to trust that God cares about them, to trust that they'll see their mom again. That's true, that's right, that's pure, that's lovely, it's heavenly. It's excellent, it's praiseworthy. What is it in your life right now that you're looking at as a horrible circumstance and God is literally in the background moving pieces, doing what he does best, which is play chess, be sovereign, work things out for good. What is it in your life right now where he's working and he wants you just to pay attention? Or he's working and you're paying attention. You're like, I don't see it. But all he's asking you to do is act as if he's telling the truth to walk by faith. Acting like it is so, even when it is not so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. You see, like, in the earliest days of my grief, I didn't see any of that. You know, God was laying it out one thing after the other. I can look back now, three years in, and I can see what God was doing. But, like, I'm no different than you. Like, that night that I lost winter was one of the, not one of, it was the hardest night of my life. It was the darkest night of my life. All the things that would go through your mind went through my mind. So I'm not saying to avoid those things. Those things are real. They're there. They're present. But it's not all that's true. And it's not ultimate. Scripture I want to read again, Acts chapter 2. Peter says, listen to these words. And he talks about Jesus, and he says, God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Our God is not, literally not held by death. Jesus overcame it, we overcome it. And that is obviously first and foremost physical death, which is what Jesus overcame, which winter overcame, which is what we will all overcome one day. But it's also the death of everything else in our lives that we think we needed that ultimately God can resurrect another way if it dies because he's allowing it to happen for some reason. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Acts chapter two, verse 24. Verse 36, therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty, let all the people of God know, in other words, with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. All this hope we have right now, just going back to the beginning of what I said, all I'm gonna do is share the magnificent acts of God in my life. God's done some, if I sat down with you guys for coffee, I can literally tell 50 more stories of what God's done in the last three years alone in my life just ways he held me, ways he encouraged me, ways he provided for me financially, emotionally, all these different ways. But I'll spare you that unless you want to sit down for coffee one day. But all I want to do is tell you about the magnificent acts of God, which starts with the one magnificent act of God, which was sending his son Jesus to die for our sins so that we could have eternal life, but also that we could have abundant life now. John 10, 10, abundant life now. It's not just about eternal life. It's abundant life now over our circumstances, over the situations we find ourselves in. And my prayer for you today, my prayer for me today, is that we will continue to pay attention to what God's doing. That we'll continue to look out in our circumstances for what he's doing that is right and true and honorable and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. My prayer is that you guys will do the same. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for every person that's in this room, every person that's online um, worshiping with us today. For the stories that are there, God, I thank you for the fact that you are using the good, the bad, and the ugly. You don't just use the good. You use the good, the bad, and the ugly for our good. All things work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So first of all, for those that don't know you, who don't know this Jesus who you raised from the dead, that they would know with certainty, God, that you are both Lord and Messiah. That you're this man with authority, that has authority in our lives, that is 
a helpful authority to us, a beautiful authority to us. That you're Lord, Lord, but that you're also Messiah, that you're this God that literally didn't spare death in order to come meet us and love us and save us from the very sin that we have in our lives, our brokenness, our weaknesses, the difficulties we have, our sin, all of it, God. You're both Lord and your Savior. And so I would pray for those that don't know you, God, that they would come to know who you are. And for those of us who know who you are and know you intimately, God, that we would grow in our ability to practice the discipline of celebration, that we would grow in our ability to pay attention to what you're doing, that we would see beyond what we can see, that we would live this life of faith in a way, God, that not only honors you but brings incredible glory to your name as we just acknowledge and tell the marvelous works, the marvelous stories of what you've done in our lives. Help us pay attention, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. It's been a joy to be with you today.